Have you felt that expanding your musical tastes expands your identity? Do you feel drawn to the places of origin of the music you love? This happened to soprano Regina Stronsek, who despite being born in the Midwest of the United States, feels Brazilian at heart. For Regina, discovering the Brazilian art song at the Barcelona Festival of Song was the beginning of an exciting journey that brought her to obtain a Fulbright scholarship making long-lasting friends in different parts of the world and developing a passion for studying and performing Brazilian music. You are listening to the Latin American and Iberian Art Zone podcast, a program to discover composers, poets, songs, and everything about the world of Latin American and Spanish songs. Patricia Caicedo. I'm a soprano and musicologist and the author of the Latin American art song Sounds of the Imagined Nations. I have published nine books with scores of Latin American and Iberian art songs. I have performed this repertoire around the world and have recorded 11 CDs. I'm the founder of the Barcelona Festival of Song, a summer program for classical singers devoted to studying the Latin American and Iberian art song repertoire in Spanish, Catalan, and Portuguese. The festival arrives to its 17th year in 2021. Good evening and welcome to the Latin American and Iberian art song podcast. My name is Patricia Caicedo, I'm in Barcelona, and today we have a wonderful guest, Regina Stronsek from the United States. Welcome, Regina. Hi, happy to be here. I'm very happy to have you, Regina. Regina, for the people who are hearing us, uh, she is a soprano from Minneapolis, and she is a Barcelona Festival of Song ambassador. So I, we will explore all that, you know, hear her story. But to start, tell us, Regina, how did you start in music? In music, I, I've always loved playing piano and singing. And I got my start with singing in choirs uh, at school and taking voice lessons when I was when I was younger and piano lessons as well. And um, it was through voice lessons in middle school that I realized that I could sing in Spanish, which was a big passion of mine um, from a young age, learning that. And um, so all that in Minneapolis, in Minnesota, in, in St. Louis. I was born in St. Louis, Missouri and moved up to Minneapolis for college. Uh, so where I to, wanted to. Where, where, which university did you go? University of Minnesota. Oh, the university. Jean Del Santo, la profesora, the teacher. Yeah, she was one of the faculty members there. Um, I took some classes on French diction with her and, uh, and some pedagogy, some pedagogy too. So you knew when you finished high school, you said, I will study music and that was clear for you. It was a difficult decision, actually. I also have a big interest in biology and thought I was going to go to med school, um, study to become a doctor. But when I was finishing up my studies um, around the age of 18, I started to feel myself go in the path more of music and language. So you this, at what age did you start university? 18. 18. So you moved to Minneapolis mm -hmm. for your alone. Yes. Mm -hmm. So goodbye to your parents. Yeah. <laughs> I have cousins who live around town, so they felt comfortable with me having some family close by, but yes, on my own. So when you sign that, tell me, because since I didn't study in the United States in university, I don't know how is that, that you signed uh, to study music di directly or how is this path? How is this organized? Yeah, there is an audition process. So we had to prepare four songs, one in German, one in French, one in Italian and one in English. 
and we would audition in front of the faculty and they would ad either admit us um, or not. And then we could have the possibility to enter into the music program. So it means that previously you have been studying to be prepared for this audition. So at what age did you start and with which teacher? I started at 16 with a teacher named uh, Dr. Mark Madsen in St. Louis. And he uh, quickly picked up on my ear for language and said that this could be a good fit for me. And I wanted to sing in Spanish initially, but he didn't have repertoire in Spanish for me to, to sing and in. So, and how was this interest in Spanish? How was it appear? Why were you interested in Spanish? We, we had the option to take language courses in, in middle school. So around the ages of 12 to 14, 15, and into high school between ages 16 and 18. And Spanish was the language that was most appealing to me to learn. Um, and I fell in love with speaking it and learning it. And um, I wanted to be able to sing in it when I started taking lessons, but I ended up learning more French and German and Italian. Of course, um, we know why. I, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but also it was hard, I imagine, to find the cheat music of, of songs in Spanish, probably. It was. It, uh, there was one song I was able to sing in middle school. It was a, an Argentine tango from probably an anthology book for soprano singers. And it was Preguntale a las Estrellas. Ah, that song. And it's so funny. You know why? Because when I go to teach at the universities there to, with and coaching singers in master classes, they always sing the same songs. And why? It's because they only have access to certain books and volumes that are all the same for in all universities. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it, 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 this tells us how important it is to publish the music for, for the promotion of the music. Because if you don't, as a singer or as an artist, even if you have the interest, if you don't have access to the cheap music, mm -hmm. it's impossible that you perform it. Right, yeah. So Pregúntale a las Estrellas was your first one. So it was. you started in the University of Minnesota, but you chose these two uh, interests that were music and Romance languages. Yes. Initially, I thought just Spanish, but uh, there was a course for Portuguese for speakers of Spanish, which was four semesters condensed into one. And I fell in love with the Portuguese language through that class. So now we are talking about this is four years training no mm -hmm. uh five in my case i decided ah. to do a dual degree so you ended up with degree in voice mm -hmm. and degree in romance languages in spanish and portuguese studies spanish and portuguese so now people mm -hmm. are starting to see oh this woman is starting to see this brain of this woman who <laughs> sings and knows these languages so it was almost natural that you found the barcelona festival of song yeah i i when i started taking the portuguese class my teacher at the time said you should start learning some Brazilian Portuguese songs. She only had one um, by Camargo Guarnieri. Mm. And I was looking for information about Camargo Guarnieri and Brazilian art song. And your festival was at the top of every search that I was doing on the Hallelujah. internet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, I need to check this out and uh, get in touch. So what year was that, Regina? That was... 2012 was when I was starting to enter into Portuguese and uh, 2013 was when I sang at Barcelona Festival of Song. So you came here and that's so nice because probably for the people who don't know what the festival about is in the festival we are completely focused in learning the Latin American and Iberian art song in Spanish, Regina's Love, Brazilian Portuguese, Regina's Love, and a Catalan, that was something new for you. It was, uh, and it's still on my list of languages to sing in and that I have repertoire that I want to, to perform in it. So uh, that, so one uh, as part of the process of participating in the festival, what happens is that once the student is, is accepted because they, 
the student sends or the participant sends um, a recording. So I hear this recording and say, oh, for these boys and level of development, for this person, so it's tailor-made, this, she could sing these four songs in Portuguese, these four songs in Catalan, these four songs in Spanish. And I send that music to the person and she or he, they have to start learning this music to have it ready when they arrive to Barcelona. So you do, do you remember your songs? I do. I, I did some Todra, the Canso de Pasar Cantan. I, uh, I remember you singing that. No, yeah, Pasa Cantan. It was so, that's one of the biggest memories that I have of the festival because that was the first time I had sung in Catalan in front of a Catalan art audience. And in this very beautiful palace. Mm, that was gorgeous. Was such a gorgeous space. There is there is a a, a video on, on YouTube of, of you singing this. I remember, yeah. It's, it's still it's, there. People it's still, can look for it. The whole the whole concert is. The whole concert is. So Regina there singing beautiful in in Catalan. So you sing yeah. Toldrano canzone. I did a little mompo. I did uh, a Castanet Mateix Fen. Sí. Um, I did some Guarnieri Adoración. Sí. Uh, Melodía Sentimental, Vila Lobos. I think I had some Guastavino, uh, El Jardín Antiguo. Ah, sí, qué bonito. Yeah. And so how was, I mean, by that time when you come here, when you came, you already spoke both languages, Spanish and Portuguese. And here there was, the year you came, uh, there was Lenine or, or Marta here? There was uh, Josani. Josani Pimenta. Mm -hmm. It was Josani. It was Josani. That was the teacher. We are talking about the teacher who, because every year there is um, a professor who comes from Brazil, a specialist in Brazilian art song, and that year was Josani Pimenta. Mm -hmm. And she had studied with Martha Hare. She studied with Martha Hare, who mm -hmm. Martha Hare is a myth, mythical figure for us, is a dear friend who died already but she led a big um, legacy in all of us and many singers and researchers of the brazilian art song so it's a very beautiful legacy she left absolutely so but how was this the experience for you of being in the festival what did it mean or how did it impact you in some way i don't know I was so excited to sign up for it and just thrilled to be there the entire time. Um, it was just the perfect blend of two areas of passion of mine of music and uh, language and culture and history. And we learned so much about the composers and um, the IPA for all three languages. And we had exposure to concerts of flamenco and art song from Brazil and art song from Catalonia and it was it was incredible. I remember I left feeling so inspired to dig into my final years at the university and do research and put uh, together my own recitals. And that same year your teacher Jean del Santo came also. She was uh, she wasn't the teacher I studied with at the university, but she was she was one of the teachers there. Oh no, uh, from of my the participants. School. Yes, uh, one of the I mean, because this is some beautiful thing that happens in the festival that is no age limit. So the participants who come are people from all ages. So Jean Del Santo was a woman in her 60s, probably. A I teacher, think so. Teacher mm -hmm. at the University of Minnesota, faculty member. And other teachers also, Carrie Kulber and other, there were, there was in the group of participants, there were people who were already university teachers and people who are studying. Um, but the beautiful thing is that we all are in the same boat, learning the same thing because for all of us is new. So we are with the same hunger for discovering this new world. Exactly. It was so cool to be students at the same time as one yes. of the teachers that I'd had. And for me, so inspiring every time too, when they, I see the teachers who many of them are older than I am, now, little by little, I will be with in time, I will be the oldest because I mean, time passes. But at the beginning of the festival, sometimes many of the, and still now, 
of the participants are older people that are older than me but I admire them so much because it's this thing that we are all eternal students we are always learning new things and open and excited about acquiring new languages repertoire etc so that's very beautiful yeah absolutely but after the festival i i you achieved great things i mean because you went <laughs> back to to the university you finished your career and what happened next after uh coming back to the states i applied for some grants through my university uh, for undergraduate research and i was able to do about three different lecture recitals on both Spanish and Brazilian song. So I was able to travel to an archive in uh, Texas at the University of Texas in Austin claro, to research. That's an amazing library. So many scores there. I, I was researching art song of Camargo Guarnieri uh, to build on the song that I had learned previously. And uh, his the entire materials of his biographer uh, were donated to that to that library. So I got to dig through so many scores and, uh, and letters and um, just all sorts of various, various items to, to look for, for inspiration for a lecture recital and uh, find many scores from other Brazilian composers who I hadn't heard of before and make some copies and take a look at them later. And I'm still, still going through a lot of them and finding these beautiful gems of songs to, to incorporate on programs. So you know um, that, 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 library in UT Austin was the one of the first libraries I went to do my research. So I, I didn't know been, that. I had been three times there and I was at the time I, I went first time there was a Dr. Gerard Beage. He was a, a, a musicologist and a very important figure in the research and promotion of the Latin American music. So didn't Dr. He, he founded the uh, Latin American Music Journal. Exactly, that the Latin American Music Review. Review. Mm -hmm. That nowadays he was the editor and founder, and nowadays is Dr. Robin Moore, who was one of his students. He is a friend of mine. So I went to UT Austin to do my research in that library, and then, um, and Dr. Gerard Beach, he was a big supporter and he helped me when I was doing my first book. That was published in 2005. This I have that book. That book. So I, in the in the opening remarks, in the acknowledgments, I, I mentioned him because he couldn't see the book published because he died just a mm. few months before the book was finally published. But he was a big support and inspiration. And then I went there again because at that university and uh, they have this ilasam some the students of latin american studies association or something and they created a congress a yearly congress so when i was doing my phd i went there to read a paper that's amazing see and then i went back after gerard uh, died i went back to present a concert a recital lecture <laughs> lecture so i have been several times in ut austin but because this is one of the meccas for the people who want to study latin american music because of yeah. the library i've discovered since to other pockets of places where there are scores of latin american music and specifically brazilian repertoire um and i know indiana university indiana has a large collection huge and catholic university in the in Washington, D.C. Yeah, and I remember reading that there was an archive in um, Akron, Ohio, that also has some Brazilian, uh, a heavy Brazilian concentration of scores. And also this important collection and also uh, an Iberian and Latin American music center at the University of California, Riverside. That too. Which is one of our supporters for this podcast. And it's so beautiful because all this information, people who are hearing and watching that, that probably are interested in this, um, discovering this repertoire, they, they will learn about these resources. 
Absolutely. And this figure, there were some figures in the uh, as musicologists who who were like a kind of landmarks in the research of the Latin American and Iberian music. They were um, Dr. Gilbert Chase, who was the teacher of Dr. Gerard Beage. Beage. And Dr. Gerard Beage was born in, in Montpellier in France, but when he was a child, he moved to Rio de Janeiro. So he grew up as a Brazilian. Oh, wow. He was, he studied piano in the conservatorio in Rio de Janeiro. And then he went back to, to Paris to study at the Sorbonne. And then he moved to Tulane. And then he ended up in with, starting this program in UT Austin. But the, that was this lineage of Gilbert Chase, whose mom was Cuban. So, and he had this huge collection that when he passed or before, he led to Dr. Beage. And Dr. Beage, he led that at the library of UT Austin and is there, preserved that. And there is another great figure of the music, Latin American and Iberian musicology that was Robert Stevenson, Dr. Stevenson, who wrote books and books and books. And he was a professor at University of California, mm-hmm. and he was the professor of Dr. Walter Clark, who is nowadays the director of the Iberian and Latin American Center of University of California, Riverside. So you can see there is kind of this lineage that is passing through one to another, and and they are honoring this, this legacy they receive, continuing the research. And the person who now is in charge of the Latin America, the editor of the Latin American Music Review in UT Austin is Dr. Robin Moore, who was a student of Gerard Beage. Yeah, it's it's wonderful to see how those paths of study flow. Yes, and that we have to, we are not just isolated people who do things, though. We are continuing on the footsteps of other people who prepare the the way for us it's so interesting because i feel like as a performer we constantly think about the lineages of um, who studied with who and who is the student of who and um, how those trees branch out but it thinking of that in terms of study and musicology is really new to me yes and it's so yeah and it's also beautiful to see how what we do has good or bad has an impact in others so it's a responsibility. And also we have to be grateful of the, of the others who give us, like, como se dice, nos dan el testigo, como en... They give us their, their will or their testament. Um, sí, and we continue with it. We have to continue. Yeah. So, but you are now going back to Regina. So <laughs> then you said you were passionate about Brazil and Brazilian music and... Mm-hmm. And I... I was finishing my degree and started the Portuguese coursework. So I declared a second degree when I got back in Spanish and Portuguese studies and took literature courses on poetry from Brazil and about culture and um, Portuguese history and decided that I was going to um, assemble my materials and apply to go down to Brazil on a Fulbright. Wow. So I, I had done a few recitals um, on, I'd done a recital on Guarnieri's art song, a recital on Bossa Nova. Um, I did a recital of Spanish and Spanish art uh, from La Majas de Goya mm-hmm. um, and, and music that would reflect that as sort of a, a thesis project. And um, I was getting ready to, uh, to put my materials together to, to go to Brazil and uh, needed to wait a couple of years, um, a couple of attempts to, to make that work. Um, but I was able to focus and do some recital work, including Brazilian repertoire in the meantime, before going. Um, I finally was, was, admit, or was awarded a Fulbright grant and uh, went down in 2017. What an honor. Yeah. And also ex- very exciting. I mean, imagine going to this land that you have dreamed, you have studied, and I, I can relate very very much with you with this love for Brazil because I don't know what happens when you you fall in love with Brazil is something that is this passion no 
It's just your heart kind of expands a bit yeah. in your chest. Like this is something when sometimes I'm I'm invited to I'm every year this Brazilian consulate they invite me to the um, Independence Day celebration and all these festivities and I am always there and people always ask me ah, wh where in Brazil are you from or where are you and I said yes I'm Brazilian I always say that I'm Brazilian because I'm Brazilian at heart. Yeah, I, they would ask me too sometimes after two years down there. Um, it was like, what state are you from? And I'm like, well, Minnesota. Um, but <laughs> but uh, they'd be like, oh, like you you speak like a Brazilian. I'm like, well, eu sou brasileira de coração. Eu sou brasileira de coração também. E você sabe que eh, once I had a concert here of Brazilian art songs, and there were there were many people from the Brazilian consulate or Brazilian colonia here and at the end there was a woman who came a black brazilian woman and she came and said to me in portuguese she said i don't know i have been trying to guess from which region is your accent i'm not sure from which region of brazil is your accent i mean it's singing because speaking of course they notice i imagine that not with you because you speaking are great <laughs> uh, uh, but she when she said that i was like wow that that meant the world to me because it means that all this war with the trying to honor the diction paid off god it's it's so special to be able to connect with people in the language that they speak and to be to sing and perform and and storytell to connect with with a, an audience that doesn't always get to hear their language in in musical contexts in terms of classical music and also for us as singers is never the same when you are singing something that a language that you don't know that you study the diction and, 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 and you do it right but you don't understand really you don't feel or the, you know, don't connect the emotion with each word but when you are singing in a language that you really understand and, and emotionally and rationally, the experience is completely different. Yeah, you you're inside of the words. It's and... not the same. So I, that's what I say. The singers should learn the languages that they sing in. No? Yeah, there's there's a different flow to it when you when you know what you're saying and when you understand how things are in the sentence. Um, there's there's a different energy to it. See, a different so, connection. But how was arriving to Brazil, to Brasilia? Did you? I remember you went to Brasilia. I did, and I I looked up a lot of information about Brasilia beforehand. And my one of my mentors in Spanish and Portuguese studies at the University of Minnesota, her specialty was in Brasilia, and wow. artists in 21st century contexts in Brasilia. So she had a lot of connections that she could um, that she could give to me to reach out about arts and reach out about poets and um, people in the music area. Um, and it was, it's such a fascinating city. It's, it's so young and, and it's still defining itself. Architectonical point of view. Mm -hmm. It's, it was designed to be the sort of the utopia center of, of Brazil in the middle of the 20th century, almost as this big catapult of five, 50 years of progress in five. And the architecture was designed to represent the future. And, um, and so you have a lot of concrete, you have a lot of, uh, a lot of curves in the architecture. Um, Oscar Niemeyer was the architect and he he found so much beauty and strength in curves. Like and Gaudi. so you see that. Like Gaudi. Yeah. And there's there's such a fascinating history to the city of of some of the goals that they wanted to accomplish with the architecture and with the open spaces. Um, and you see you see how some things worked and how some things didn't based on their plans of how spread out and spacious it is. Um, and, but from the personal point of view, how was to just to land in there? How how did you feel? How what were you? I scared? felt like I was in space. I because of all of the architecture, I felt like I was in um, 
just it didn't feel real. It felt so surreal to be there and and see these buildings on stilts and to hear Portuguese around me and mm -hmm. like be surrounded by these beautiful green trees and and nature in the design of the city. And was, the people, how was the experience of, I mean, the, how people relate to each other? It, I've made some really, really wonderful friends in, in my community in Brasilia. Uh, it was hard at first. I think Brasilia gets the reputation of being kind of cold because there is um, a lot of space between people. Also. Yeah, um, like I know Clarice Lispector uh, and and some other some other poets. I think Simone de Beauvoir also was mm -hmm. critical of Brasilia, and I think some poets said that it didn't have a soul. It was just dirt, dust, concrete. Um, it didn't grow, didn't grow organically but just was planted from start to finish. Yeah, and it's the and I think some of the interesting things is to see how 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 people are creating the spaces in that in that city and in that community. And um, when I did finally find those circles of like-minded individuals, artists, creatives, um, it was just very aconchegant. Um, they brought but, you in. But the good thing is that you arrive in a very good position because you come with a full bright that certain prestige to it and you come also free of money concerns mm -hmm. hallelujah that's a blessing I mean, yes a blessing <laughs> because you can devote entirely to your research your music to learning mm -hmm. great and you already come with certain with the language yeah we and with some contacts and uh, interest in something concrete that is the art song you want to look for it exactly so and how i, was I it? it was it was great um i i actually was down there on an english teaching assistantship so because of that i had the opportunity to apply for a second year and to return for another year of of teaching and studying and in those two years, I was able to... But they were continuous years? or Two continuous years. Mm -hmm. So I, I came back uh, at the end of my first year to the United States and returned for a second academic year and worked with two different universities. And I bridged, did some inter, uh, interdisciplinary cross-cultural concerts that featured art song from the United States and art song from Brazil. And we looked at like folk themes and like similarities between um, some of our histories. And, uh, and I, I programmed a concert on the theme of dreaming, featuring composers from Minnesota and composers from Brazil. I remember you, you wrote me several times when you were there. And one of the things that I remember that surprised you was the fact that you couldn't find the cheap music to buy. How was mm -hmm. it? It was difficult. And I remember you mentioned earlier um, the importance of publishing and the importance of having repertoire accessible um, for people to, to reference, to study, to perform. Uh, there's only one, one major um, physical location that sells scores and um, and other music materials. And that's actually in Brasilia called Musimej. And they had such a selection there of, of music. And I was lucky to be able to go there a few times and purchase some scores. But most of my repertoire came from uh, PDFs that uh, colleagues would send me. Um, I would ask professors from the various universities if I could look at their um, their stash of music and make some photocopies and so, and this is inconceivable, I mean, for somebody in the United States, thank God, there is a, an awareness of the respect of copyright and at the universities, you have to have to the, the originals to sing in recitals of the university, for example, which is very good to protect the publishing industry and the, and the composers. Mm -hmm. But one of the dramas in Latin America for the music is that the publishing industry is, is, is poor. So, but more than that is the fact that probably the music from 
our own composers is not value as it should be and so it's not published and also it's not published because people is como se dice pirateria in in english para uh, piracy la, See piracy? Piracy. There's piracy, so people copy and copy and distribute without paying, so which is horrible for publishing industry because if your work is photocopy, so you you cannot continue with your company publishing mm -hmm. I, industry. And there were some there were some trust issues too between composers that I would meet and um and publishing companies. I think there is a, a fear that if they hand over the rights to their piece, they wouldn't have control of that piece once it left their hands. Oh. And I, there were some, uh, I guess, some concerns that if music wasn't going to be reprinted for purchase, that they would have to wait until the copyright ran out um, to have control of their scores again. Wow. So mm -hmm. all these things make very hard for people to have their hands on their um, cheat music. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a, I mean, it's, it's a miracle it's a, to find one art song of whatever Brazilian composer. Bueno, Brazilian, I think is now that you are inside an insider and you know the people, so you have access to this music. But if you wouldn't be uh, one of the insiders, Nobody has access, or oh, everybody sings. That's why everybody sings the same Bija Lobush and the same the same songs over and over again because people only sing the the songs that are in the, these books that are available. Exactly. So now, one now I'm working. I told you yesterday in in uh, publishing, editing a, a new new book, and it's an anthology of the Brazilian art song that is done by Flavio Carvalho and Flavio Melo and Carol McDavid. And I was thinking that Marta Hare and Carol McDavid are like you, in a way, people who were born in the United States, but who fell in love so much as we have fallen in love with Brazil and Brazilian culture, music, that they went to live there. They spent, actually, Marta was Brasileira also legally after 30 years living in Brazil and devoting her professional life to doing research on Brazilian art song as Carol McDavid. And I can't see you doing the same. <laughs> It's, um, it was very cool to be in touch with so many of Martha's students. Um, when I first applied for Fulbright, she was initially the, the teacher that I was interested in studying with. So I was able to be in touch with her before she passed. Um, and she was just a wealth of knowledge. She had so much information and, um, and everything I hear from the, the circle of students that she impacted is just amazing yes. and, and had Marta such an impact. was a, an important presence in the festival in the Barcelona Festival of Song and through her came the teacher who is now our teacher and my best friend uh, Lenine Santos Dr. Lenine Santos who is a Brazilian arts on expert and an, an incredible interpreter and researcher and he was a student also of of Marta here. I before actually meeting uh, Dr. Lenini Santos, I would listen to some of the recordings that he made as I was studying um, Brazilian art song. So he he's my dearest friend. Yeah. I'm very I got glad. to <laughs> I got to meet him at um, the Piano Institute of Brazil, uh, IPB. Mm -hmm. They had their opening of their of their sala, their salon, um, and it's it's another incredible. Uh, resource coming out to preserve and promote Brazilian piano music mm -hmm. and Lenini was there at the at the opening and so I got to to meet him and and hear him sing so he he's a he's a teacher of the festival and we have also performed together in Brazil we have a program of duets uh no no we have had a lot of fun and now he's a professor at the Universidade Federal do Rio de Janeiro and he will be always every the first Wednesday of each month is my co-host in this podcast for people who 
to know that he will be here. But I want to hear more about your stay in Brazil. So you learn that, um, improve the language, the culture, learn more music. And how was it? It was, I went down knowing that I, that I knew a lot about Brazilian Brazilian music based on what I was able to access in the United States. And I left feeling overwhelmed by how much I didn't know. And there were, I think I went down with the knowledge of 20 different composers from Brazil. And when I'd returned, I had at least 90 plus composers on my list of repertoire that I had, that I had collected and um, made note of upon getting back. And uh, that's art song, that's choral music. Um, there's so much more too. Oh, you mentioned choral music. Choral music is important in Minnesota. It is, yes. There's a very, uh, very rich choral tradition here. And Brasilia also has a big choral tradition, I, I discovered, even for a city that's very young. Um, there's an enormous culture of singing uh, in groups. And it's funny now that I mentioned Minnesota because many people, many singers from Minnesota, from different institutions through the, the years of existence of, of the festival have come from there because we have had students from St. Olaf, many, and also your University of Minnesota. And also St. Olaf, I was in, visiting a, a one week of teaching and performing at St. Olaf once, and that um, library was the first in, always in buying all my books. And there is an interest in this Latin American and Iberian repertoire in, in at least in St. Olaf and in Minnesota, I'm for sure. Absolutely. So there is a, an art song, a very well-known art song, cycle is i mean cycle almost concert series no of uh, a concert series of of what uh, art song uh yes there are a few uh concert series art song concert series in in minnesota so what are you doing now in minnesota now that you are back from brazil what are the plans of regina with this repertoire with these connections in both countries and what are what are your plans for the future regina That is a great question. Um, <laughs> but, um, for, but for now, um, upon arriving back in Minnesota, um, after two years in Brazil, I incorporate Brazilian music wherever I can in recital work that I do. Um, so I sang some songs of Elsa Camillo on a recital. I have an upcoming recital at some point on, uh, on repertoires from Brazil, Argentina, and uh, Catalonia. Um, about the sea, the earth, and the sky. That's it's it's tentative, and we're waiting on a date to to do it safely. But um, that will be that will be coming up in the future. You are and the perfect I, ambassador of the Barcelona Festival of Song. Yeah, and I I sing with a, a choir, professional choir here in in Minneapolis, and we did a performance of La Pasión Según San Marcos by Osvaldo Golijov mm -hmm. um, with Maria Guinan as the conductor along with the Minnesota Orchestra. Um, the group is called Border Crossing and many of the concerts that they do of choral music feature and highlight works from Latin America. Um, mm. yeah, very so interesting. So it's very, your, your, your contribution there could be very important. I mean, because you know about the repertoire, you have You love it, you speak the languages, so you have a lot to do in Minnesota. Yeah. And there's um, there's another group based in Florida called Indictus Project, and we, um, we're putting together some uh, recordings of Celeste Jaguaribi, Esther Scliar, and a treble trio by Camargo Guadnieri. Those will be released um, at some point soon, too. And, and have you thought, have it crossed your mind to, to pursue doctoral studies or or something that yeah there i believe there will be grad school graduate programs on the horizon um i i'm, I'm getting some some materials together and and looking into uh, various programs and looking at possibly a combination of voice and musicology um or pedagogy and musicology hmm voice and musicology would be very nice 
But psychology, <laughs> always pedagogy will be part of the cocktail. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> These things cannot be separated. We we are like artist scholars. Things yeah. are linked. I cannot conceive being just a singer without the scholar component because the scholar component is the one that nurtures what I perform. And the teacher component too. You combine all of these things and then you share it. Yes, it's sharing and promoting and this is, yes, all things are connected. Yeah, because whether it's sharing with, with an audience or whether it's sharing with students, like there is, you don't keep it to yourself. You. Yes, I think what we have in common is we are communicators. So we communicate through music, through teaching, through writings, to songs, to, but it's always communicating giving what we receive. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. That's and I, I feel that too. There's, um, there's storytelling, not just in the performance aspect of it, but by by learning and researching um, histories and composers and poets, you're also sharing a story of of a side of history that's not been highlighted, and that hasn't been given a voice. It's true as as often. And you also have done music by women composers. Yes, there are a lot of Brazilian composers who are women um, that I learned about at the last um, uh, Congress on Brazilian Song in 2017. Their whole theme was um, women who composed in Brazil. And there were lots of recitals of repertoire from these, these composers and uh, there's there's so much to to learn about it, and I think there are a lot of uh, artist scholars in Brazil doing the research right now, um, yes. and hoping to publish and and promote no, this no, music. No, yes, there are in Brazil. Another very interesting thing is how how much is is at the university environment. How many people are doing doctoral research or master dissertations on this topic of Brazilian art songs, so uncovering this wealth of music. So there is a lot and there is this um, awareness of the value of this heritage, I think. Definitely. And yeah. you mentioned Flavio Carvalho uh, earlier, and he at, at that Congress, he presented his uh, publication of the complete works of Gino Raggi Carvalho. Yes, um, he, he came to the festival and presented and they did with Luciana Monteiro and with Poliana Alves. The three of them presented a recital of only women, Brazilian women composers, including the, the one that Flavio um, researched. Yeah, Gino Raggi her music is really, really something. And yes. she's she's on my short list of works to program like very yes. soon. So no, no, no. So I, th I hope that in these conversations we have inspired people, singers and teachers to just delve into this world and to at least be aware of the, oh, there is Brazilian art song and there is a lot of music and um, they have to learn it. Of course, they probably are afraid or they don't feel secure because they don't know the language. But for example, in this anthology that is about to be published now in February, uh, there is a big chapter of the Brazilian lyric diction and all the songs have IPA and everything is in English. Also the translation of the poetry into English to facilitate the access of English speakers to the, to this repertoire. So yeah, and there, there are so many more resources now to facilitate studying um, repertoire in Brazilian Portuguese. I know there was recently a book published a few years ago on Brazilian lyric diction mm -hmm. um, by Dr. Marcia Porter mm -hmm. at, uh, in Florida. And mm -hmm. it's, it's very specific. And um, for anyone who's a nerd about IPA, it goes into a lot of detail uh, for for singing in that. So good. So we have now inspire people and I only can, I, I tell you that I'm super proud of you, Regina, to all of your, your dedication and your path and your passion. And I'm sure you will do great things. I mean, uh, 
for me, great things are the things that make you happy. So when you yeah. are coherent, you are happy doing what you do. And so those will be great things. Yeah, you're such an inspiration. Um, so I, I credit so much of what I've been able to, to learn about Brazilian repertoire to the model that you've set and um, your, your love and your drive for, for this, this area of music. Gracias, Regina. Obrigada. No, but that because I feel also very lucky because we, when we have this, this passion, this love for this, we are always having fun. It's just, oh, discovering this song, this composer, this is exciting. So it's always, it's work also, it's, but it's having fun all the time, which is very nice. Yeah, I have a lot of friends where I'm like, check this out, learn, I just learned this about this composer and they're like, cool, I don't have this background, but I'm glad you're excited. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So when yes. you find people who also, um, who also appreciate and know, know something about this music as well, there is such a joy in, um, in See, learning. Yeah, that you can get excited about the similar things. Mm -hmm. So you've built such a community of, um, of, of scholars and, and performers just with Barcelona Festival of Song. See, it's been and this is so beautiful. special to be a part of it. See, that's, that's very nice because we are a group of nerds of, of Latin American and Iberian art songs. So, but no, we are friends and it's a family and, oh, oh God, this is sounding. Um, so now I think we are about to finish, but before ending, I will let people know that this podcast is brought to you thanks to the support of the Barcelona Festival of Song, of the Mundo Arts Publications, that is the publisher that publishes all these scores of Latin American and Iberian uh, art songs, and also thanks to the support of the Center of Iberian and Latin American Music of the University of California, Riverside. So all the friends are supporting us. <laughs> So, and I hope you had fun, you learned uh, meeting Regina and yes, and we hope next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Um, Eastern time, you come back to hear more stories related to the Latin American and Iberian art song world. Hasta luego. Un, una despedida en portugués. Até, até logo, abraços, um, vai com Deus. <risos> mais palavras, mais palavras que escutem a língua. Podes fazer então um discurso de despedida. Tchau, tchauzinho, até logo, até então. Uh, I'm exhausting all of my options of how to say goodbye in Portuguese. <risos> até logo. <risos> até logo. Até <risos> logo. For listening to the Latin American and Iberian Art Zone podcast. This episode was brought to you thanks to listeners like you. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to patriciacaicedo.com slash podcast, subscribe to gain access to our free resources, and consider making a donation to ensure our future. Muchas gracias. Gracias.